Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ, according to St. John, chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Glory is to you, Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus answered them, My Father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, thereby, thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomsoever he wishes. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I imagine that by now you're familiar with that old Church of Ireland joke. What's the definition of a saint? The last rector. And if you haven't come across this Church of Ireland phenomenon, you're definitely going to. Every parish seems to have the rector they can't forget. For me and St Augustine's in Derry, it was Canon McKegney. Everywhere I went, Canon McKegney was remembered with fondness and adulation. And to be fair to Canon McKegney, he deserved it. He was extremely conscientious, devout, and committed to ministry. But from what I have heard, he could be tough too. He was old school. He ministered at a time when the rector said jump, and the parishioners asked how high. In case it has escaped your notice, those days are well and truly gone. Nevertheless, not a bad word could cross anyone's lips regarding Canon McKegney. And when people were talking about great clergy, his name always, always came up. You felt like you just couldn't begin to compete. And like I said, every parish has one. In the same vein, every parish harks back to the time when everything was wonderful. The pews were full, the church organizations fulfilled every need, the children and grandchildren all attended, and by all accounts, small children thrived on morning prayer with a sung psalm and three canticles. <laughs> all was rosy in the garden. Even if much of this story was lived out in very different times and in a very different Ireland, it can be intimidating. Church isn't like that now. Especially post-COVID, many churches are struggling to get back the parishioners that were attending regularly. There's massive competition for Sunday morning worship, with most sports matches, certainly in the south, 
being held just as you would stand up for the Nicene Creed. The attention of young people has been captured by a hundred other activities, by social media, and definitely not by accompanying granny to church. How do we move forward? How do we sustain our own sense of hope and not have it torn apart by the increasing secularism around us? How do we anticipate at this point in our ordination journey serving God with joy? The Old Testament reading from Jeremiah chapter 7 gives us some small clues. Verse 24 says this, In the stubbornness of their evil will, they walked in their own counsels and looked backward rather than forward. Here are two clues as to how we survive as church leaders from the onslaught around us of pessimism and cynicism. Firstly, they walked in their own counsels. In verse 23, God gave his people specific instructions for living well. Obey my voice. What the people did instead was to walk in their own counsels. And if ever that was true of the people of God, I think it's a huge temptation for this generation's household of faith. We were instructed to obey God's voice and we listen to every other voice that assails us. Many of these voices are positive and good courses of action. As we study theology, we are bombarded with many voices, some of them inspiring and some we just frankly put back in the shelf. We're trying to figure out as we study for ministry which voices to listen to, which are nourishing and which deplete us, which give us hope for the future and which tear down our hope. We are sifting the voices and we are meant to. There are the voices too of those around us as we embark upon ministry. Some are really hopeful for the future of the church and some are struggling and counting the days until retirement. Even clergy can fall into relentless cynicism about the church. Which voices will you listen to? Which colleagues nourish your vocation and which make you feel that you want to give up before you started? Be careful who you sit under and amongst. Be careful who you heed. It's difficult too not to pay attention to what is happening in the rest of the Anglican Communion at a tempestuous period in its history. No matter where you feel you stand on any number of issues being discussed, it is your duty to listen most attentively to one voice, the voice of God. What is he saying to you? Where do you need to obey his voice and no other? Where might he want to correct your path as you walk in the counsel of others? But mostly there are the voices of those who think that we are giving our lives to something or to someone that will disappoint. The swell of secularism and the replacement of a devotional life of prayer and the scriptures with any amount of spiritual practices make us feel that we are regarded with benevolent irrelevance. Again, who will we listen to? When we know we have a personal faith story to tell and when we utterly believe that Jesus can transform a life, we focus always and still on telling that story. The downfall of the people of the prophet Jeremiah's culture was that they walked in their own counsels rather than obey the voice of God. Let's not do that. 
But the second part of the verse is really interesting too. They walked in their own councils and looked backward rather than forward. I refer you to the heyday of the Church of Ireland and the last rector. What are we doing when we get utterly absorbed by what used to be? We are looking backward rather than forward. What are we doing when we tell our clergy that our worship 50 years ago was good enough for us and by implication should be good enough for you? Looking backward rather than forward. What effect are we having on those who are trying to envision the future when we hark back all the time to what used to be and it was great? Looking backward rather than forward. The fatal flaw of looking backward is that it doesn't change a thing. It is of course a nice warm feeling to remember how the church and its organisations were the life and soul of the city and pews were filled to the brim. It was a wonderful era, but it's not this era. And we as church leaders need to focus on what God is doing now. How can we do that if we or our people are constantly looking backward? constantly making us feel that we're lesser than those who have gone before. It's disheartening and it changes absolutely nothing. Our focus as clergy ordained to hear the voice of God and to lead in his ways is to relentlessly face forward. What is God saying now to the church? How do I hear his voice and move in his will today tomorrow and for every day that we're privileged enough to lead? How do I get myself in the position where I know what the Father is doing? The ordained ministry is an absolute privilege and joy. If we walk in the counsel of others and look backward rather than forward, we will miss what the Father is saying. And I am not Pollyanna. I've been in this business long enough to know that there are extremely difficult times to navigate and very tricky people to negotiate with. And I am that tricky person for somebody else. But God's calling is something to cherish and in which we ought to flourish. When our joy dissipates or our sense of privilege is challenged, we need to go back to obeying God's voice only and to resolutely face forwards. You don't put your hand on the plow and look back. Verse 28 gives us a very good reason not to allow ourselves to be distracted from the task. This is the nation that did not obey the voice of their Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. I, for one, do not want to stand before God and admit that the truth has perished and it is cut off from my lips. As a bishop, I feel challenged dearly not to let him down and to be enough. And I feel that God has given us collectively today an opportunity to refuse to be the people that Jeremiah served. They walked in their own councils and looked backward rather than forward. So this evening, listen only to him. Keep your eyes on his face. Face forward relentlessly. Amen. Amen. Amen.